gospel and resurrection, judgment day, heaven and hell, and some of those biblical doctrines of last things. But then I want to get into a study of demons and angels and seeing the spirit world for what goes on back there until the end of time. And so this is sort of a segue into that as I get the material together. There's a lot there, and yet it's still mysterious to us after we read what it says about demons and angels and what they do or what they don't do. So the study will be what the Bible says about those things. One of the challenges we have in living as a Christian is this balance between the flesh and the spirit. And we're challenged to live in two different worlds. We live here on the earth, and yet this world is not our home. And Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, said, Your citizenship is in heaven. And our calling then is to be separate from the world because we belong in heaven, and yet we're stuck here. We're living in the material world. And so the challenge we have is to keep things in proper balance and not go after the world and be a friend to the world and follow the ways and the values of the world and also at the same time have our value system coming from heaven. You may have seen places like this around here, at least in Levy, there are several Latino establishments, restaurants and some stores and all. And just looking at the front of this, you might not could tell much difference in this building and one down in, uh, in Mexico or someplace. And you have... The language spoken there and people dress sort of, sort of like Latinos. And you may have noticed at the Air Force Base, around the Air Force Base in Jacksonville, you'll see a lot of people in uniform, people that are active duty. And you also hear talk and see people who are volunteer, who have retired from the military and they go around with their little, their talk and their lifestyle and all because they're connected together through their military service. And you know in places, big cities as Chinatown and Little Italy and things like that. And these people reflect some of that culture there. And Paul was writing to a church in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And all around town you'd see it was a out, military outpost. And you'd see Roman soldiers with their Roman uniforms on. And you would see people with all kinds of reminders that they belonged to Rome. They were Roman citizens. And so Paul sort of capitalizes on that idea. And he says, well, yeah, you're, you're a Roman citizen living here in Philippi, but... And yet your citizenship actually is in heaven. And so he builds quite a case on this idea of who we belong to. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so the Bible says, not by bread alone, and yet we still have to have bread. We just don't sustain ourselves by bread alone. So there's a balance there between the physical and the spiritual. And then Paul said that bodily exercise is profitable for a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. And keeping in perspective, he's not saying that bodily exercise is worthless, but being a Christian or being godly is worth everything. But he's saying as much as bodily exercise is worth something, godliness is worth much more. So we do know that we need to keep our bodies going and up and running. So we need exercise, but we need to be spiritual as well. And then we understand since man is both body and soul, we have to care for both of them, or body, soul, and spirit, as we, as we noted. And so Paul says that we are to be in this world and aware of it, and yet we have a special connection as well as a special disconnect to this world, this present world. And so in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 14, he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from their midst. King James Version, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and, I, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so the challenge there is this idea of not partaking of this world's value system and yet we're sort of stuck because we can't just disappear from society and not be, not be integrated at all with the goings-on of this world. And yet in the midst of all that, we're supposed to be lights in the middle of darkness and we're supposed to be uh, kept clean and pure away from the values of this world. And so in, in 1 John 2, John says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. And then... In Romans 12, the idea of do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The translation there in the English for the word world comes from the word aeonios or aeonion, which is age as distinguished from cosmos or the world. So he's not saying don't love the trees and don't love God's creation. Don't love the world or, or, or care about it at all. But rather don't buy into this world or this, this, the spirit of this age. And in James 4, we're not to be friends with the world because to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. And then in Matthew 16, we're cautioned there of the value system to not gain the whole world at the expense of our own soul. And so to be separate from this world, to come out from among them and be separate, is not to be isolated from the world. Sometimes it seems like it would be good to just let go of everything and live on the side of a hill out in the woods or something and just let the world go by. Just, that's not my problem if they had another mass shooting. It's not my problem if the, if the drug addicts are on the street doing this or the shootings at the nightclub. I'll just stay away from all that stuff. And that's tempting, but then we, we have a problem, and I'll show that in a minute. But we can't simply choose one world over the other. James says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. This is what God is looking for, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. So that's connection, that's involvement with this world, widows and orphans and, and the needy and the poor that we always have with us, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that would be a kind of separation, a kind of purity from the defilements of this world. So how did Jesus handle this? He's our perfect example. And he didn't stay off on a mountaintop in a cave somewhere by himself and let the world go by. And he went out and touched the leper and dealt with the sick and the afflicted and with, uh, with all kinds of people all throughout society. He worked with people. And yet he did not fall subject to their value system or partake of their evil deeds in trying to reach out to them. And so we have him as an example. So there's this idea of do not be conformed to this world. And that confirmation has to do with the idea of a, of a, of a shape like conforming to something, fitting the pattern. So as a Christian, our calling is from above, and we're not to look so much like and act so much like and be so much like this world in which we live. It's kind of like trying to save someone who is drowning. Sometimes, or if they're in quicksand or something, and you, you have to reach out there to them to help them, but if you jump in there with them, you're not much help, and you need help too. And so when we're trying to reach the world, we're not becoming a part of it and partaking of all of its philosophy and, and worldviews in trying to, to be a part of it. So in Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2, we're to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So what this is about is not separation physically, bodily, in isolation, or live a monastic life in a monastery somewhere, isolated and insulated from the world's problems. But rather it's a changing of your mind to think, I have a different value system, and money doesn't affect me the same way as it used to, or the same way it does the rest of the world. 
You know, the world has a, a, a broken record that just keeps on playing. If, you, if, you, if you're handsome or beautiful, you've got something going for you. If you've got money, you're going to be okay. Uh, if you've got talent, uh, you're going to be okay. Um, if you're really smart and intellectual, then you're going to be okay. But other than that, you're kind of out of luck in this world. And yet God has a whole different viewpoint about the value of the human person and what we're able to accomplish and, and who we belong to. So the Christian's repudiation of this world is a renouncing of the value systems of the present world and the present age. And when we're told that Demas forsook Paul and, and his company and the mission, that he had loved this present world. And so it's not that he loved the trees and the rocks and the rivers so much more than he did Jesus, but rather the values of this world. And in Colossians 3, there's a description there of how, what change takes place when Paul says, when we have put on Christ, we have been changed, we're Christians, we're converted. He said, you put off the old self. And then he describes putting on the new self as holy and beloved, a heart of compassion. And then he describes there the lifestyle and the value system of a person who belongs to Christ. And so Jesus was transformed in more ways than one. But we read that in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, that Word created everything, and was, nothing was created or made without Him. And then down in verse 14 of John 1, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And so that Word that was invisible and equal with God became flesh, walked among men and showed us the way and the way back to the Father. And then an interesting twist on that is, just like in the prophet Hosea, when God put him through the mill, as we say, saying, I want you to live what I'm experiencing with my people. I want you to go marry a wife of harlotry. And then he gave names to the children. And, and all those names represented how Israel had failed God and had corrupted themselves and all that. And so the very Word of God became flesh in Hosea's life. And that's the intent now, that this living Word that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword gets into our mind and our conscience and it comes out in our flesh causing us to do the, the right things and the godly things, the spiritual things and not the things of, of the world. So then there's this third concept of, of um, separation. Come ye out from among them and be separate and be ye transformed. And then we present our bodies a living sacrifice as unto the Lord. Romans 14 and verse 8 describes whatever we're doing. We do it intently and we do it by our conscience and we do it consciously as unto the Lord. Whether we eat meat or abstain from meats, we're doing it because of the Lord. And the error of dividing life into two entirely separate worlds, this is Sunday and I'm at church and I'm a Christian. This is Monday, I do whatever I want. That's a that's a false view of, of what God's expecting of us and how He allows us our freedom. And so when we try to divide it, well, I'm religious here, but I'm free over there to do whatever I want and live in, in this world, it puts us into three more errors we might stumble into. One of them is this false compartmentalization of life that I belong to God today and this much of my money is His instead of it all belongs to Him. I belong to Him all the time. My body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit and this is 365 days a year, 24-7. Also, it confuses the true nature of the true church when we try to live for ourselves and live for the world part of the time and live for God the leftover time. And it makes us insensitive toward evil because if I could go off to a hilltop somewhere and hide in a cave or live in a cabin and just withdraw, then it starts feeling like these things are not my problem. 
And it may be good. It may be good in a sense that we're saying, well, if they have these nightclub shootings and these riots down there, I'm just not going to go down there. I'm just not part of that scene, so I'm going to stay away from it. And we pretty soon get far away from everything to where we just let the world go by. And then what are we really worth? So then when you open up the rest of the Scriptures about the Christian life, there's this business of visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and and doing the things that we're supposed to do to reach out and help and not just hide out and stay pure by not participating in evil. We become righteous and uh, having a life of righteousness by doing the things that are good, not just abstaining from evil. And so if we escape off to the hilltops, we sometimes become insensitive to evil. This is not my problem. So which is human, which is divine? There we stumble. Sometimes we, we have a swinging pendulum into extremes to where we want to say that everything I think, say, and do, breathe, touch, and my whole life is worship to God. And we think, well, that's maybe taken a little bit too far because worship is a specific set of things we do and perform and acts we do, and that's true as well. And so if we're not careful, we get into one of those two extremes. We can't separate anything from anything else. And so even no matter what I'm doing, it's somehow worshiping God when really the term might ought to be it's serving God or I'm a living sacrifice. So in that sense, everything I do belongs to God because I'm, I belong to Him. But on the other hand, we can go up to Jerusalem for to worship like the eunuch did and we can return having done what we went to do. We went up there and worshiped and we got through and left. So anyway, there's this idea of, of um, is everything I do, is it worship, or is it simply what I say, it all just belongs to God? And in Ephesians 5 and verse 8, he says, You were once darkness, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, but now you are light in the world, so live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And among whom you appear as lights, he describes their luminaries as the translation, which usually referred to stars. And the very concept there is that the world is so dark, the value systems of this world are so evil and so ungodly, that when you come in there as a Christian and act like a Christian, then it's just like a point of light. It's just like you can see the stars are up there during the day, but we don't see them then. But in the darkness, we see the points of light. And so we appear as lights. We appear as stars in the midst of this dark world because of our repudiation of this world. So as children of light, we must renew our vows to avoid making provisions for the flesh and following the ways of the world. And this is so simple, we often don't even think about it. But to me, this, this concept of making provision for the flesh, it's a lot like making provision for the flesh as far as the needs of the body. It's like, well, I need clothes and I need food and I need shelter, so I arrange for all of that. And then somebody says, oh, there's a big game on TV and I'm free tonight and I'm going to watch this big game. So here are my potato chips and here's my Coke or my hot chocolate and marshmallows, whatever. I'm putting all this in here and, and uh, I'm getting everything ready. And here's my house shoes and I'm going to turn on the game and shut everything else off. And here I'm, I'm getting all this stuff ready to do this. And so when a person has decided in their heart, we're out of the heart are the issues of life. When we're like Amnon who says, I, I want her so bad I'm going to pretend to be sick to get her in the room with me. And you know that story. We start making provisions like I'll drive by her house or I'll see if her car's at home or I'll... So you start making provisions for the sin that you're going to produce in your life with your hands and your feet and your mouth and your eyes and your ears. And all these things are puppets, as it were, for, the what, for what the heart is thinking. And so we have to not make provision for the flesh. And we know where our weak points are, and we know the things that tempt us, and we know how to 
avoid those things. And so the conscious challenge through the Scriptures is to make no provision for the flesh. And to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints or holy ones by calling, with all, with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, Paul writes to these people and challenges them to separate themselves, come out from among them and be ye separate, and transform by the renewing of your mind, be transformed, and prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is your reasonable service of worship or reasonable service. And then to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So there's the challenges, the change that takes place initially from our obedience to the gospel when we say, yes, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm wrong and I want to be saved. I don't want to face the wrath of God. Yes, I understand that nothing but the blood of Christ can save me from my sins. And so we read this explanation as Paul writes to the church at Rome. And if you've, if you've ever, I know you've studied Romans, but it's a hard, it's a deep theological treatise almost about the way God works and the way sin works and the way, the way God's wrath will work and the way God's grace works. And in all of this, as he points out, that there's, all, there's just nothing you can do bad that's worse than God's grace could cover especially because of this blood of Christ. And as he explains this, he says, well, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, that we just sin all we want and and expect God to just cover it and it won't bother us? So then he explains it and unpacks it a little bit, and he says in verse 3, beginning of Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we will be with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. And this statement follows actually verse 1 and 2 when he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, No, God forbid. And how can we who have died still live in sin if we've died to it? And then he explains it this way. And then he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we could no longer be slaves to sin, where he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. And so there's this, this great change as a beginning point where we say, no contest, Lord, whatever you say. What would you have me do, Lord? And you'll notice another pattern that's, that's visible throughout the Scriptures of the New Testament. People who were baptized into Christ, none of them disputed the concept. None of them offered some alternative or complained about what they were told. When they came to the point of submission in Christ and submission to the truth and understanding what sin was about and what salvation was about, they would basically say, you got me. No contest. Take me as I am. And they would come as they were, be immersed into Christ, and be saved from their sins. And so that's how we start this journey of becoming a Christian, living as a Christian, and being in this world but not of this world. Now, as we'll see in the coming weeks, there are evil forces at work under Satan trying to destroy our relationship with Christ and destroy our Christianity, our belief system, and our values and, and messing everything up. But there's also other powers at work, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the living scriptures and things we'll see from the unseen world. But tonight I just want to ask you as we offer the invitation of the Lord, 
Do you have something in your mind, in your heart tonight that needs to be confessed? Or do you have a weak place or two, something that needs our prayers on your behalf? Or do you need to just request strength? Or do you want to be baptized into Christ tonight for the remission of your sins? We're going to stand and sing a song now that speaks to this scriptural truth. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So if you need to come to the Lord tonight, would you come while we stand and while we sing here? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the